0: Welcome back to the Welcome Matt's Podcast. I'm Reverend Matt. And I'm regular Matt. And we are so lucky to have with us another uh, friend of the podcast, is what we're, we're calling people that have been on already. <laughs> we're having them on again. <laughs> uh, <laughs> with us. Uh, Eli, uh, we had such a good time uh, talking to you last time. Just fantastic episode. So if you haven't heard that one already, you should check that one out. Um, and this season, um, if you've been listening to the other ones, we have been doing a retrospective of the pandemic, which, you know, we're not quite out of, but it seems like we're now at the tail end of it, at least you know, here in California. So um, we'll, we're, we're looking back at, you know, like the different um, things that people have been going through, both, you know, physically, mentally, emotionally, uh, all those things, um, it's been really, uh, interesting to see, you know, how everyone has um, grown or or changed or I don't know, you know, stay the same too. Like it's all it's all good. So, how are you doing with uh, with the pandemic?
1: I'm doing okay. I think uh, it's been a whirlwind as it has been for everybody. I was in school uh, online full time for the whole last year. So the fall semester and the previous spring semester at IBS. And that was a lot to do uh, during like world chaos. So that was interesting. Um, And I ended up taking a break after uh, some like health issues in the fall. Uh, So I just took a break over the winter um, and I'm fine now, but it's been really nice since the winter. I like taking a break ushered in like a very good shift. I got COVID over Christmas, which was a bummer, just from, like, a roommate's workplace. Um, But uh, I ended up healing after that, and uh, the last few months have been nice. I've been training a lot at um, the Karinji Rinzai Zen Monastery out in Wisconsin, which is kind of by Chicago. Um, The teacher out there is my Zen teacher, because I grew up with both Zen and Shin, and so um, he trained under the same... Aikido lineage just me. So it's nice to go out there sometimes. Um, I'm going next week for like five days just to, you know, train with the monks there. But yeah, so I've been doing that, hanging out with my friends, trying to, we had like a fake warm day yesterday since it's still actual winter here. So we went outside, everybody acted like it was summer, even though it was 62 degrees, but we lost our minds. And (laughs) it's just been a lot of that day-to-day stuff, trying to help my temple out, help my friends out and uh, stay as even as possible as things go up and down around me.
0: Good. That's, I, that's fantastic. Um, I'm, mm. I'm glad, uh, that you sound like you're, you're, you're doing well. Um, always good to, I mean, you know, if we don't have our health, we really don't have anything. So I'm glad, you know, that you're, you're doing okay. Uh, I don't know, uh, if we would get in trouble for this, but, uh, I'd like to know your honest opinion of how school is going because, um, mm. Only because this is the only school that's related to the Buddhist churches. So it's the only one that would maybe yeah. come back and invite us. But I mean, I think anything would be good if they did get some negative feedback, then it would be helpful and like hopefully in a constructive way. But anyway, I'm I'm interested because I went through the program. So I was wondering how you know, your you your experience is.
1: Yeah. Um I am so curious to hear a little bit of your experience too. Uh, but I'll share a little. I think it was really great. I feel like I was very well supported, like by professors. Like I made a lot of like genuine friendships and really like like dharma friends. It feels like a bunch of people I've like uh, now put on events with or different things uh, who I've met through IBS, who are other students or things like that. Um, and so it feels like if I could do all of that through Zoom, I'm sure in person it would be even better. I never even went to the Bay. I'm still in Chicago, so. Um, yeah, I had a really good time and I really liked what I was learning. I think for me, it wasn't um, like leaving was ushered by health, but even more so I had like a growing feeling over the past couple of months. And it wasn't that I was unsatisfied with IBS. That was like the happiest I've been in an academic setting, which can be kind of awful (laughs) a lot of the times. Um, But I've I really like school and so this really was wonderful, but I think I was learning things at such a rate that I felt continually lucky to have all these resources, but like I was learning almost for the sake of learning some things, right? The speed at which I was taking in information doesn't allow me to like digest them and sit with them and put them in my body uh, the way that I prefer to. And just the way that my brain works, I like to just sit with things for longer. Um, and I think I can be efficient at school so I can like do all the papers and things like that. But it felt like at what cost? Like I, I wasn't really sitting with the teaching and it felt like they were just kind of flowing over my head. So I could see myself going back eventually and like doing maybe one class at a time or something like that when I could afford that or make that work for me. Um, but for now, It was really nice and I enjoyed all the classes and all the learning, even the stuff that bothered me or, you know, wasn't quite my thing, felt like there was always room to talk about it. So I feel like I'm never going to expect no conflict, but as long as conflict is not a scary thing somewhere, then everybody can kind of deal with stuff. So we had a lot of tough conversations in some classes, but they really went well, most of the time, because people were just trying to listen. So I really had a good time.
0: Oh, good. Yeah. I mean, I, that's, uh, I'm interested. In, I'll have to come back to, to that because anyway, um, but I actually, I guess did that I <laughs> in the, in the beginning, because uh, coming from, uh, I went straight from undergraduate into graduate school and like, I don't know if you heard this, or if this is just me, but, like, I had heard that grad school was really hard, and so mm. I was, like, maybe I should just take, like, one class this first semester, and so I took one class, and I was bored out of my mind, <laughs> so much time to myself, going from, like, a full-time student, then you take one class, right, so it's, like, so, yeah, so, like, it, I was, um, I have like yeah, two two days a week for like yeah, three hours maybe for each day. And then the rest of the the week, I was just I had did no idea what to do with myself. So that was, I think, hard for me. So mm-hmm. the next semester, I want to say I took two classes and then I was still like, I was like, Yeah, I need I need to take a full load, otherwise I'm gonna go crazy. So um that was uh how it started. And then like the experience uh living at the dorm was really cool, like being able to uh get to know those people and um you know it's true that you make these like great Dharma friends because you're taking the same classes so you can talk about subjects and everyone kind of has that same sort of under you know level of like understanding of Buddhism that you can have these kind of more in-depth conversations mm-hmm. and um I mean, you know, I don't know, they get, you just naturally, you live with people, you end up either hating them or you get very close. And so we got very close. And, uh, and then we also did, um, kind of like these road trips where, uh, oh. River Matsumoto, he would put on the Nebutsu seminar, um, every year, which is like hosted either at the Jojo Shinshu Center one year, and then we did it in Southern California, uh, the other year. So it was like every other year. And so all of us would get into the car and then we'd drive for like seven hours. And so, you know, like we're spending all this time together and it just, it was a lot of fun um, being able to have, you know, those kind of people in, in your life. So that was, that was really good. Um, and then, yeah, it's true. You absolutely learn so much like throughout the year and, you know, so mm-hmm. much in in each class. I, I feel like feeling it from people I talk to where um, they're really, actually like, I don't know, holding you to a certain standard, I, I felt like I tried really hard to do bad in the classes and the lowest I got was like a B. So (laughs) they
2: were,
0: they were very kind uh, and, and, you know, helping me, helping me along. But uh, yeah, all the teachers were really nice. Um, yeah, all the students were really nice, uh, and it was interesting having classes with you know people from uh, other schools, like at the GTU. Uh, so the if for, if you don't know, the Institute of Buddhist Studies is part of the Graduate Theological Union in Berkeley, which is a bunch of different um, seminaries. And so uh, because they're part of the network, we can take classes from their schools. They can take classes from our schools. And you can really get this diverse um, education, especially if you get a degree through the the GTU versus just uh, IBS. But that was really interesting. And so I'm, uh, I'm curious about these, you know, maybe harder conversations, or like, you know, the conflict that Mm. you had, because I didn't, or maybe I wasn't paying attention, I was sleeping or something. But I I don't remember having (laughs) like those conversations. I remember thinking, though, that I'd never heard of, uh, what was it, white guilt before where like Ah. there was there was a student that was like i feel so guilty that there's you know suffering in the world and like i don't know what to do about it or something like that because she's been so privileged in her life and like Mm. that was such an like a new concept for me that you could have it so good that you would be like guilty for having it so good. And so, you know, the, the teacher was very kind and was like, okay, well we have this, you know, metta practice where you can send out, you know, loving kindness to everyone. And I, 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 think that helped. I hope that helped, but like, just to like have that, even that feeling, you know, within your, yourself of like, well, it's so good. I feel guilty. I don't know. So, yeah. So I'm, I'm curious about those uh, conversations that you had.
1: Yeah. Um, I think I'm, maybe the one who makes a lot of those conversations happen sometimes. So (laughs) that might be a part of it. I sometimes just can't quite help myself, but, uh, I think there is a good amount of older white Buddhists in the GTU or IBS classes. Um, and there are some interesting conversations that come up around race, around gender, around just like colonialism. Um, and so, I feel like my Buddhism is very much rooted in an abolitionist approach, uh, in approach that seeks to really talk about what we're talking about when we're saying words, just say them clearly. And so uh, that can be very difficult. And I think a lot of the times for a lot of people who are white and guilty um, and feeling some kind of trouble over their guilt who can't like release that in some way. I think uh, there's a lot of disconnection from like people who have, all of people who are really in the United States, right? People are either from enslaved peoples, from like immigrant populations moved here and are dealing with that or indigenous to this land and displaced or are like the descendants of people who enslaved people. So there's a lot of things we don't wanna deal with uh, but that really matter when talking about like Buddhism and migration, and how things get passed on, and how we name lineage and who we recognize as our community. And so, I think some of the discussions none of them were, I don't remember any like you know, arguments, nothing was crazy. But at times, I think there were uh, some discussions in which some folks were maybe we were going back and forth over just how to really name. The context of what we're pulling from. And so when we're like talking about, you know, Buddhism in East Asia or in Central Asia or things like that, like being able to not just talk about it from a white lens of like, oh, wow, this is so crazy and sensational. And just that like takes away so much actual history and authenticity. And so I think like when things would get like kind of sensationalized or a little bit you know, I don't know, misogynist or sexist, not to say like, you know, I'm the bearer of good or anything. I'm, I make a bunch of mistakes all the time, but uh, I think I found it easy and safe to bring those things up in this context. And so I tried to, as best I could, because that feels like, uh, feels like how I process kind of responsibility and community is to um, offer some vocabulary to folks who seem like they are searching for it. Uh, in maybe finding it in a misguided way. So yeah, that sounds a little preachier, but <laughs> it, I wasn't so holier than that, but we did, I did push back a lot on some of the uh, whiteness dominating the room.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I'm sorry, I'm gonna turn my video off. Hopefully that's makes it better, but I, I don't know. Yeah, I thought I, of that, I usually it helps. Okay. <laughs> uh, but that's, yeah, that's great. I, I think there's, uh, you, you put it in at least, you know, in my opinion, you put it in such a way that I feel like it's helpful, right? Because if we're trying to uh, talk about something, if you don't have the words, if you don't have the vocabulary, then it's it's difficult if you don't if you don't have um, any of the words. Um, and so for for you to you know give people that I think it's like a like a gift, really. You know, it's it's a kindness to help them you know process, even if it isn't maybe necessarily the most comfortable thing at the time. So I'm, yeah. I i do not know. I mean like, Oh no, go ahead.
1: I was going to say, it feels like we like even build them together. And that's a nice like exercise and way to like reach common ground. Like we're not always trying to meet somebody else where they're at, but we're just like building some right now together. And I think often like uh, just pointing those things out in class can make the room more real, make everybody a more real person where we're considering all of them, you know?
0: Yeah, absolutely. And it is, it is a great environment that I think for the most part, you know, we try very hard to create like a safe um, space for, for people to talk because uh, with any religion, it can get very personal. And so, you know, a lot of people bringing in their experiences of why, you know, perhaps they turned to Buddhism or, uh, how Buddhism has helped them through, you know, a very difficult time in their life. Uh, it can get uh, very, like you said, very real. And so, you know, to have the um, the environment, I think does help to get people to, to open up to the sense that they can have those great um, conversations that you can build up to something. Yeah. Now, definitely in the West, there's a bunch of uh, white, uh, like, lens uh in in buddhism uh in mm. terms of like the especially the the um academic side of it so we're, we're starting to see a little bit of pushback back to that where there's so many uh there's such a rich culture of buddhism through the immigrant populations the the different people that have come over and brought the tradition with them versus people who have you know studied it or something and then like um started to write about it but uh I was wondering if there was anything maybe in in particular about um Buddhism or Buddhism in the West that you thought maybe yeah. people would not know or or they would help help them to to do better with um Buddhism in, in some yeah. way, or I don't know, maybe something that you've come across multiple times, but just I don't know. I was wondering yeah. what, what you have your experience, yeah, if there was one something that kind of kept coming up or something.
1: I think. For the most part, rather than one like specific bit of information, just the view of going to Buddhism as an escape from your reality, I think is kind of like vacation tourism, colonialism, you know, like there's a a benefit of being a dominant culture in which you just get to dip into all the cultures you've dominated, right? And you take what you want from them.
0: And so you lose a
1: lot of context there. Um, and more than that, I think just, especially when you touched on like academic Buddhism, a lot of the times people studying, uh, in the West, there is this big, like movement of, you know, you're supposed to be objective. You're supposed to be outside of what you're studying. So a lot of non-Buddhists are studying Buddhism, which is fine. But when you're studying cultures that you don't really understand and studying their like intimate rituals and practices, A lot of the time I feel like our need to know and our need to make big connections and our need to classify and feel like we really understand something gets in the way of seeing that maybe it's not for us to understand yet. And so a lot of studies come from people who are starting from the wrong place and building a whole, you know, theory about a whole place and then just taking it and saying, this is the truth about, you know, Chinese Buddhism, or this or that, or Mahayana coming first before Theravada or things like that. And everything gets all jumbled up. And I think we would know less overall, we would have less facts, I would know less about, you know, distinct Indian Buddhism, probably if we learned differently. But I think I would maybe know a more authentic Buddhism, if I took it slower and learned it from just, you know, person to person lineage a little bit more from people, Not so much from books. Books are very important, but only with the Sangha, I think, you know, we have to have all three of the treasures. So, yeah, I think if you're maybe converting to Buddhism or exploring Buddhism from a Western lens for the first time, maybe, um, my thoughts are to really understand where what you're learning is coming from why they might want to teach you in that way. And like, take that Buddhist spirit of inquiry into even the way you learn, because yeah, you can, you know, bad instructors are out there, bad teachers are out there, not bad per se, but misinformed people are a plenty. So it's very easy to learn from somebody who you don't know, doesn't know as much as they say they do or things like that. And so I think just taking your time and dealing with that, like, attachment of wanting to know and understand and letting ourselves know i think shin buddhism it's really easy to let that go right it's so easy to just trust the the knowing aspect isn't like as enforced and so if you're not in an academic standpoint people tend to relax into it i think a little more at least i've seen but you know in zen tenda in a bunch of other schools there's a much more uh academic feel to them and so it can be easy to get like lost in the sauce of just <laughs> knowing dates and names and things like that and never, you know, feeling what the ritual means. And so I think really just finding a place to participate and knowing that memorizing things isn't ever the way to really understand them. you got to live them a little. So you got to encounter them again and again and again, at least that's what, my interpretation of what we're being taught. So I think maybe that's kind of an answer. That's my answer version for your question.
0: (laughs) No, that was good. That was good. I mean, you definitely, uh, I mean, I feel like you answered it and there's definitely um, a lot there that you were, you were touching on uh, in terms of like our just understanding of what understanding is or, you know, learning is Mm. what, you know, what knowledge is, I guess, coming from like the enlightenment post enlightenment kind of understanding of the world and like how you know there's there's an objective nature that there's an objective like facts uh definitely influencing the the western thought and and of course how then they would study um different things including religion uh but you did mention something which i think is kind of a tricky term and that's like Mm. authentic so like uh i let's see I don't know. I can't remember if I mentioned this on the on the podcast before, but like, there's this uh, Netflix show with uh, David Chang, and he's like talking about authentic food, and um, he he came to this realization that he didn't know what authentic was um, because it, you know, like everything is influenced by. Everything else, and does it matter if it's older or if it's you know like isolated from someplace? Um, but you know, and then if it like changes over time, what part of it remains authentic? But anyway, so uh, that was something mm-hmm. that I have um enjoyed struggling with uh lately, uh, you know, this idea of authenticity and and what that really you know means, not just for food, of course, which is fun, but like in terms of. Uh, Buddhism as well right like what what is authentic is it the closest Mm -hmm. thing to what the Buddha said is it the heart of the teaching is it uh, what you know the teachers that you had had decided was authentic or something so I was wondering what uh, your your appreciation or your understanding of what uh, authentic means and I guess what authentic Buddhism would be
1: yeah that's such an interesting question Um, I think that term authentic has kind of trapped us a lot because even, you know, most of the stuff we like know, we can't really prove about history. So who's to say really, we're reconstructing things a lot later, a lot of the time. And even in like authenticity in practice or in lineage, like who gets to say who's in power, has been influenced by a lot of different factors, right? You know, the current head of the Honganji is a direct descendant of Shinran. That, uh, is that authentic or not that sort of lineage, right? That's a chosen thing. And so, of course, that's an authentic lineage for them, but there's no one way to do that, right? And so I think that for me, thinking of authentic Buddhism, it's less... one sect or another being older or first, I think I've come to think of sects of Buddhism lately. I've been trying to kind of deconstruct my like sectarianism. And I think that in doing that and in expanding the way I think about that, I've kind of thought of everybody just as like cousins right now, like from the same lineage, right? If the Buddha is the trunk of the tree, and everybody's just branches and then leaves and seeds and things falling off of that. It doesn't really matter where anything starts or begins because it's all coming down to the same truck. We're all coming down to the same root, which is just the Dharma, the Buddha. And so there's no way to prove what's the right way or what's the one way. And what we have of the early teachings says we shouldn't be looking for one way. There isn't one way. He taught different things for different people, right? So to me authentic buddhism is rooted in a practice that is aware of its context and fully recognizing all the like to use like the lens of like engaged buddhism from tiknat han like a practice that is recognizing its dependency on the world the world's dependency on it and how it moves through those like cause and effect shifts. So any sort of school that is a true Sangha, right? That is embodying the teachings that they know, and that is trying to deconstruct the harmful powers around them is doing what at least I've learned is what every sect is trying to do at its core, just to practice that kind of goodness. and that branches off into a bunch of things, but I never think the Buddhism is inauthentic. I think perhaps the claims can be inauthentic. You know, the, the assertions about what some people say can be inauthentic when there's a bunch of uh, you know, people saying there could be an objective view. We can never, I don't think we can ever really be objective. You can't really apply the scientific method to Buddhism a lot of people think it's like a a science too. And that just washes off so much. There's so much more than that. Um, There's this really good book, uh, The Shamanic Bones of Zen by Earthlin Zenju Manuel. It just came out recently-ish, maybe even this year. But I just read it over the two weeks ago. And it was talking about this kind of uh, mixed shamanic root where people were really doing like Duranis and things that we still chant today that are spells. They're mantric spells. People are trying to cultivate states of being or states of connecting. And I think there's no authentic way to do that, but there is, at the end of the day, you know, in, in or no, I shouldn't say at the end of the day, but uh, I think when we are practicing, we know deep down whether we're in it all the way and seeing everything or not. And so just trying to get closer to seeing more would be the most authentic way I know to practice. I'm interested in what you both think. Is there an authentic Buddhism like definition you all have?
0: Yeah, uh, I've like, yeah. Like I said, I was kind of struggling with this. Um, mm. And and I think what perhaps helped clarify it for me was actually the, the last uh, podcast that we had um, when it wasn't Carrie, was Carrie the last one? Carrie wasn't the last one. Anyway, last one was uh, Claire. Claire, right? Okay, the one before her. So, uh, in Carrie's, we we were talking about her, like I don't know, was it her personal mission statement or something like that? And she was saying, like, you know, she felt like whatever she did, she was trying to inspire people. And so I was like, what What am I doing? Or or why? You know, am I practicing? Why am I trying to you know be a, a minister or something? And uh, mm-hmm. when I said those words to myself of like, I want to inspire people, it just sounded incredibly corny, like coming out of my mouth. I felt like, you know, for her, it was like, oh yeah, like t- I could see it. You're cool. So it's fine. But, um, for myself, I was thinking, you know, I, I really, the reason why I got into this and, and now kind of like guiding my actions, I, I want to help people work through the struggles in life that that we all have, you know, and I think it's coming from a place of not like, I'm telling people what to do or I've got it all figured out or, you know, I can give them uh, some list of things and then they're, they're good because I'm still trying to figure it out. So if we can work through it, you know, together, try to try to figure out what the best thing to do, because we're all going through all kinds of struggles throughout our lives. That and then, additionally, you know, like to to give back um, to the community that I got so much from uh, ever since you know I've been very young, and so in in that sense, for me, like uh, the the Buddhism is at its core, and you know, I think maybe the the true intention of Buddha or the the I don't know heart or the, the the base of Buddhism is to like end suffering right and it started out the buddha ended suffering for himself teach people how to you know end suffering for for themselves and then ultimately with like the mahayana movement like ending suffering for all beings so um i i feel like that's what makes it authentic if uh the people are trying to use Buddhism, not, I don't know, use Buddhism, but live Buddhism, I guess, like, to mm. to end the suffering uh, in their lives and in the lives around them. So, like, anything that isn't that, I guess, I would feel is inauthentic <laughs> if people are doing yeah. it for some some other reason, but that's kind of where, where I am, I guess, right now. And, you know, as my life changes, everything changes. So, who knows in a couple years what I'll say, but that's what I'm feeling.
1: Yeah, I think, that's a really interesting answer. Thank you for sharing. I think um, the, a couple of weeks ago I wrote, it just got published like yesterday or the day before, uh, but this this publishing press called Homie House Press, um, they're a really cool press. And I sit with, I do biweekly meditations for the founder and then sometimes other people when they're doing residencies and stuff. And so they asked me to write a piece for their like last in-house newsletter, which was uh, like this risograph scene. It was really pretty. Um, And the theme was anti-nationalism. And so I sat down to like write, and I didn't really know what I was going to write. But that morning I had gone to, it was snowy and kind of like 30 degrees. And I went out to the cemetery on a walk and I just did some like cold weather training and some breathing. And I had a a few losses uh, last month and... One of my aunts is very sick. And I came across this gravestone with like the same name as me, and, or the same last name as me. And I just kind of stopped and like, did a meditation there, and it felt really good. And I was thinking about that when I sat down to write this piece, and I ended up writing this piece called, Will You Get Free With Me? But it really felt like I, without knowing it, just like said my, like what is Buddhism to me, and When I was meditating, like I was kind of came to these three vows that I kind of breathed in and out a few times over. And it was just, I vow to be here, I vow to be present, I vow to return. And I really think that's like my mission that kind of mirrors what you were just saying in that I I feel like just trying to be here, return to the moment and really show up for people and try to help them through those sufferings and struggles and the grieving of every moment, you know, to really find the love underneath all of that is to recognize that kind of interdependent transformation that's always happening. And so I feel like that, uh, I resonate with your uh, definition a lot and maybe in two years, I'll hear it again and I'll still think the same thing, even if it changes, but, uh, yeah, I like that a lot. What about other magic? <laughs>
2: um, I, I don't know. I, I think I've never really thought of the thought about this before um I mean before you guys kind of brought this up but I think for me it's like I I feel in my experience I don't have as much knowledge of Buddhism as both of you do uh, for obvious reasons I I mean like I didn't go to IBS and I didn't really do a lot of like um, studying in Buddhism like all a lot of my knowledge is basically like coming up to the church hearing a bunch of like ministers speak and things like that doing a little bit of like extra stuff from just being a participant in YC and things like that but I think for me like the only way to find authentic Buddhism is to kind of reduce the teachings down to their core of like kind of kind of like both of you were saying just like remove all the excess stuff and then use them as tools for people I think for like Dharma school and stuff I try to kind of I don't want to say treat it like therapy, but kind of in that way of like, I'm going to give you the tools on how to deal with life and how to kind of like find your path in Buddhism. And what you do with that is what you do with it. If it works for you, it does. If it doesn't, then you just leave that one and keep going on to the next thing. I don't know that I've ever really thought about what authentic Buddhism is though, in that way.
1: Mm. That's a great answer. It, It sounds like you're like... Just living, what it is to be an elder, right, in a real community, and that's like, yeah, what Buddhism is—is is you just give people, you have a few tools that people gave to you, and then you give the tools to the people who need them around you. Yeah, so yeah I guess that sounds. I mean, that sounds right to me. When you say it, it, sounds so much better. So yeah, I'll take that as my answer.
2: You
1: should grow a
0: yeah. powerful beard now. Ooh, no, I got,
2: I got that Chinese facial hair. It's gonna look like I'm a, uh, you know.
0: This this is Matthew. <laughs> this, is, this is this is Matthew growing picture. his beard out. Yeah. This is
2: this is like <laughs> a month's worth of not shaving. So you know, I get you. It's
1: a- <laughs> Same here. There's a reason I'm clean shaven.
2: Exactly. All over. It's, exactly. It doesn't happen any
1: other way.
0: <laughs> uh, so that yeah, thanks uh, everybody for you know great great answers uh in terms of you know authentic buddhism on this you know maybe conceptual level but on the um you know practice level i'm i was really interested in what you're talking about going to uh wisconsin and and doing you know zen because as you know you know in, in shin we don't really have like practices and i mean we i guess have retreats which would be cool if we did more of, um, but you know, the, the, our, our sister schools then there, they have all the cool things to do. So I was, (laughs) I was wondering if, you know, you could maybe tell us, uh, what you would typically do on like, uh, one of these, uh, retreats that you go to, um, in, uh, Wisconsin or, or, you know, anywhere else. Hmm. Yeah. Um,
1: I'll do a shameless plug for, uh, like a mini <laughs> Jodo Shinshu retreat on the, uh, 19th, uh, in the morning, uh, at 9 45 AM central time. Uh, we're doing the spring mind body seminar, every equinox, we do a little mini seminar, the Zenshin Sangha that I lead. Um, and so this year. Uh, for spring, I'm going to lead just like a two-hour workshop. So we're just going to do some movements, meditation, chanting, learn a little uh, guided massage sequence for kind of grounding at the end. And then Todd Tsuchiya, uh, Reverend Todd, is going to give a Dharma talk. Um, And so it'll be a nice two hours. Uh, And we do, yeah, that's the closest I think we get to retreat. (laughs) We do a two-hour thing twice a year. (laughs) Uh, But growing up with Zen practice, I find myself there, I need the, the, the structure and the, uh, intensity of that kind of practice. It really suits me. And so I need both. I can't just have one. Um, and when you would, sometimes I'll go for session. So that's like a week long structured retreat. Um, or like next week, I'm just going for five days. There's like a holiday in the middle where there's a thing, but I'll just be, you know, kind of living, and training with the monks as their normal days. Um, But in Sashin, when you go for like a week, it's intense. It's a lot of meditation. It's a lot of being with yourself. It's a lot of um, facing everything at once. And you wake up at about 4.30, uh, somebody, we slept in the meditation hall in the last one because they were just, because of the way it worked out, but somebody like uh, the jikijitsu is like the head of monk of the meditation hall. And so he pops up and he hits this bell and he screams kaijo, like super loud. So you just have to like pop up really fast and everybody bows together. And then you have 20 minutes to like orient yourself, put your stuff away, get ready. And you start with some morning movement uh, from the system called Doinho, which is something I've been doing since I was a kid. Uh, this is like Karinji's day, you know, each monastery is different, but this Wisconsin monastery day I'll describe. Um, but the movement system is drawn from Aikido and Zen and the same lineage that I grew up in. So it's, it's really nice to go there. I've, I haven't been going there for a long time. Just this year, I've, this past year, I've discovered them. Um, but yeah, training and doing all these movements that I grew up doing as a little kid and relearning all the like ways I used to take care of myself after training for a long week Um, has been really nice. You'll do some movement, meditation. Um, It's Zen, so it's got very fancy ways to do everything. You, morning tea, some, two people come in with like a big teapot over their head. They run to the end and then they pour everybody's tea and you drink together in three sips and then they take the teacups or you put your teacups away and do your sit. Um, But you drink like umeboshi tea and it like kind of wakes you up on the inside. Um, And then the rest of the day is mostly just like meditate, eat, meditate, chant. You know, you got morning chanting. Uh, there's chanting through the meals. Everything's silent. Um, you're only supposed to talk to convey how to, you know, complete a task or uh, emergency information. So you only really hear each other talk during the morning meeting when you're giving out chores. Uh, well, one person's giving out chores to everybody, and you all work together for a period of two hours um, or at the end of the day, there's teisho, which is like a dharma talk, basically. So the Roshi gives a dharma talk, and then you have like a Q&A after that. And then optionally, one to two or sometimes three times a day, there's dokusan or sanzen, which is when you go have like a personal interview with the Roshi. So you get a chance to like one-on-one talk. Um, and that's a really beautiful ritual. You're meditating in the meditation hall and somebody rings a bell. Out in the Zen, uh, the Hondo, the main hall. You know, it's a different building in these like deep forested acres and kind of like a deep canyony type thing. So you like walk up this little hill and you all line up on your knees in the hallway. You ring the bell and go in, and it's, it's just supposed to be like an extension of your seated practice. So you're trying to stay in that meditative mindset, and you have a few minutes to you know discuss your training, say, ask questions, do you know, whatever more private thing you wanted to discuss. Um, But what I find most wonderful about going to Sashin or training in places like in anywhere that people have trained really hard for a while, right? People have really put effort into is that like the land feels charged. So you go there and it just feels, you get sucked into the forest at night. And I I would go on these walks in the dark chanting and you just like get, nothing feels corny. And it all kind of is, but nothing feels that way. And so you're able to just like be a nerd about breathing, be whatever, uh, like think of your thoughts and not judge yourself for thinking things. Like it just feels like it gives me that opportunity or if it doesn't, it gives me a way to look at that and kind of work with it. If it's a more hard session, not that there's really any easy way to spend seven silent days meditating, but, uh, Yeah, I really enjoy that kind of embodied practice to really just be the teachings as best I can for a little bit and to work with people in silence. You really, like the person who sat next to me all week, we didn't talk much, but I felt like I knew them by the end. We like really hugged goodbye (laughs) because we were just like feeling each other throughout the week, you know, go through different ups and downs emotionally or energetically, and just everything pops up for you. So it's a nice chance to really get back into my body for me and I think it's um, an interesting place to see how crazy the mind and body can be you know you don't sleep a lot you're meditating a lot it's it's a weird mind state to cultivate so some some surprising things happen and that's always fun to remember that our bodies are really truly unlimited and as hard as we can try to do one thing like sit for I think there's like nine hours of meditation during the day uh, in normal session and five hours a day during like the beginner retreat. And so sitting with yourself that long is a good opportunity, in my opinion, to really explore what doesn't get to get tended to during normal life, daily life. Because I know like sometimes I'm just like, oh, you know, something stressful is in my head. I don't even want to open up that can of worms. Got too much stuff to do. But if I'm on the first sit of the day, you know, there's not much else I got to do but think today. So might as well just deal with it and see how I feel and trust that I'll be okay. So, yeah, it feels like a nice embodiment practice, a nice way to uh, approach the teachings from a experience basis, which is, I think, still what people do at Temple, you know? A lot of people aren't there to know a lot with a capital K, you know, they're there to just be there. But yeah, this is a way to be there that I really enjoy throwing myself into.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks for sharing with that. I mean, it's, Mm -hmm. it's always interesting to hear um, different, you know, practices and especially um, something as like know full full of your your effort your whole self like it to it like that and so like there is as we were talking about you know using buddhism as like uh, a study or science or something like you really lose um that whole body experience like that's why we have you know rituals because there's something that we need to do essentially, essentially like within within buddhism like you can't just like Um, read about it like there's something Mm. that you have to do in order to really practice so um, I think that's great and and it really it like kind of brought back feelings that I had going through um, ordination which you know like a 10-day thing where we go and so like you yeah you you really nerd out kind of (laughs) like (laughs) I'm chanting like as loud as I can the person next to me is chanting as loud as the chair As loud as I can, we're all together. Um, okay, I'm I'm chanting. Is it? I'm chanting. Okay, I'm chanting as loud as I can. The person next to me is chanting as loud as I can. Uh, we're all we're all chanting. We're all working together, and it is there's this like feeling of you know, like you said, different energy. And I mean, you know, the people going through ordination, we're all uh, novices essentially because we're all trying to get to that next level. But then you're surrounded, you know, by the the teachers, these people who have been doing it for years. Uh, you know, a person who's head of the like facility is, you know, this this older guy, and like just having all all of that there, it, it does it feels different um, to to be there with all of these people that have been um, training people essentially like for for so long, you know. So I I definitely resonate with with that kind of feeling, and it makes me almost like you know nostalgic and like miss <laughs> miss a kind of. <laughs> Cause um, as, and maybe that's something that I have to like cultivate at the temple to be like, you guys got all got to chant loud so I can feel better. (laughs) Mm. (laughs) There's
1: something to that. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, Chanting there's a reason why we all chant, you know, that's one practice
0: we all hold. Yeah. All right. I'm, I don't know every one of these episodes, man, I'm getting like inspired to do stuff. So I'm like, my list of things to do is getting longer and longer. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so, so maybe that's a good good way to stop so I don't add more thanks to my list of things to do because I've already Perfect. got too much. But uh, I wanted to thank you again so much for for coming back on. Um, you know, such such a pleasure. Uh, always um, so interesting and, and like the incredible insight that you bring um, to our conversations. So, uh, you know, we'd, we'd love to, again, have you um, on at uh, a future date. But uh, before we go, um, I know you mentioned something that you wanted to plug. I don't know if you wanted to say how to... Um, maybe sign up for that or, or any, and anything else that you wanted to plug.
1: Sure. Yeah. Thanks so much, both of you uh, for having me, Matt and Reverend Matt. It was, it's always so nice to talk to you too. Um, and it feels nice to just connect with different Dharma people through these different platforms. So it's lovely to be on the podcast again. And uh, you can find all of my personal stuff at uh, patreon.com slash Eli Brown. It's just my full name. Um, I have like a little Patreon school. It's like this little abolitionist meditation center. And it's from, you know, it starts at $5. You can go $5 all the way up, but there's different levels of like learning. And it's been a really lovely creative outlet for me to be able to share all the different teachings I have been taught. And we do like different breathing exercises every week and monthly movement and chanting. And it's been nice to uh, reach people and share in that way and be in community. So you can find me there. Um, that's Eli Brown is all my social media. And then if you look up Midwest Buddhist Temple, mbtchicago.org, uh they have the Spring Mung Body Seminar or the uh, Zen uh Meditation. We have weekly meditation Sunday mornings. Uh, but yeah, I'm all over the internet. You can just Google me. and. Uh, you'll find some way to meditate with
2: me somehow if you'd like
0: to. All right, regular man, you got anything?
2: No, I never do. Like I okay. said, I, I just I just follow your lead. I'm here to support <laughs> you.
0: Okay, so close up.
2: Yeah. yeah.
0: Okay. All right.
2: Yeah, that's all you. <laughs>
0: I, I don't even remember. I I still forget how we do this. But all right, um, that,
2: that'll be the theme of this uh, this season: is just abruptly stopping the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> all
0: right, everybody. Uh, thanks again for for listening. Um, I guess we'll catch you uh, next time.
2: Yeah. Okay. <laughs>
0: all right. Bye.
2: Bye. Bye.